0: Welcome to the Careers, Employability and Skills podcast from Queen's University Belfast.
1: This episode was recorded during a career networking evening with Queen's alumni as guest speakers and hosted by Emer Gallagher of the Queen's Careers team.
0: Okay, so um, good evening um, and welcome everybody to um, this uh, event that we have this evening. Um, my name is Emer Gallagher, uh, some of you may know me from Careers, Employability and Skills and also from possibly working with me with Degree Plus. We're absolutely delighted um, this evening to have a panel of um, four uh, guests, all of whom happen to be alumni as well. Uh, I'd like to thank the Development and Alumni Relations Office as well for helping to bring us three of our panellists this evening, uh, Tessa, Fergus and Bennett. Um, We also have Jordan Hendricks from First Derivatives, who our employer engagement team um, have brought with us, and Jordan is a Queen's um, alumnus as well, as it happens. Right, so the aim of the event this evening is really is very much about introducing you to the four speakers here, here with four inspiring and influential alumni. They have their own personal story um, to tell, um, and they're also going to share some personal tips and advice, particularly bearing in mind Uh, the COVID-19 situation. So essentially um, what we want to do is to allow them to um, showcase and encourage you to consider the long-term value of your Queen's degree and also of the professional attributes that you've been developing during your course during the early stages um, of your working life if you're a recent alumnus joining us. Things like resilience, flexibility, networking, general opportunism, even in times um, of difficulty as well, and personal optimism can feed in as part of your career strategy to overcome challenges such as COVID-19. And COVID-19 is a challenge now, um, but we inevitably all during our careers have different challenges. Sometimes there are challenges for our employers as market changes and so on. Sometimes there are challenges for us in our personal life. And COVID obviously is a, a global challenge We're all um, in the one boat with it, Um, but again, the things that you're learning and we're learning to cope with now as we go along in this COVID-19 situation will also stand to you in any subsequent challenges that you encounter as you move along. We also very much are encouraging you to connect, stay in touch with Queen's. Queen's is a wide and an influential global community, so that is something that Um, you're able to carry forward with you following your Queen's degree and um, we encourage you with that. One other thing that I would ask of those of you who are final year students or alumni who have uh, graduated say within the last 15 months, there is a survey that comes around from the Higher Education Statistics Agency called Graduate Outcomes and we would ask you and encourage you to complete that survey at your 15-month post-graduation point. It will ask you about things like your employment situation or are you doing further study? What are you doing now, essentially? And that information from that is so useful to us and to universities across the UK and helping to feedback and helping us to flex and develop the support that we give back to students who are coming in your footsteps behind you. So please, when you see that coming through, we would appreciate if you can complete that. But without further ado, tonight is really about hearing from our four speakers. Um, so we have this evening and are delighted to have joining us from New York, uh, Tessa Breslin, who's the managing director and head of YSC Americas. We have Fergus Boyd, who is interim CEO of the appetizingly titled Mind Sauce. And my colleague who's kindly joined us this evening, Diane Masson. Diane will chair that part of the audience uh, questions that are coming forward from you. So please do keep those questions coming forward we will answer as many of them as we can, and those that we don't get to this evening, we will come back and follow up on. Once we've allowed a few minutes for those chats and questions and taken from those, we will move and invite then Jordan Hendricks, who has kindly joined us this evening from uh, First Derivatives. And Jordan is well-placed to give us employer perspectives in terms of the local economy and the Northern Ireland economy, given that her work with as a recruitment executive with First Derivatives. And Jordan herself is also um, a Queen's alumnus. And finally, last but not least, we very much appreciate Binad Martin joining us. come joining us from India. It's 10 o'clock this evening uh, in in time in India with, with Binad. So Binad is the Chief Technical Officer of Trillium Beverages and again, a sensory specialist at Flavor Active. So all of these uh, alumni and speakers joining me this evening have significant experience, significant experience in terms of overcoming challenges. They um, are very much keen to pass on their story uh, uh, advice and share tips with you. So we do hope that you find it useful. At the end, we will close with a few final audience questions and then we'll take a few closing comments and I will give you some uh, follow-up networking contacts as well at the end. So, without um, further ado, could I invite Tessa? And um, we will hear from Tessa in terms of her experience um, really since uh, graduating from Queen's. So, Tessa, we invite like you to.
2: lovely. Thank you, Emer. Um, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Uh, greetings from New York. Um, So my Queen's story started um, in 1994. It's kind of shocking to me that my university career was in the last century, but there we go. Um, So I started with a degree in psychology and I took an opportunity, given the political situation that was in Northern Ireland at that time, there was an opportunity to study in the US under the Business Education Initiative. And I took that opportunity and studied in Pittsburgh for a year. And that's where I discovered this thing called IO psychology or occupational psychology, as we call it back home. And I came home and uh, graduated. And one of my friends tipped me off to say, you know what, there's something in the career centre. And if you apply for this particular bursary uh, scholarship, you can have your master's degree and your living expenses taken care of. And I thought I'm absolutely going to apply for that. And I did it and I got it and I did my master's degree in occupational psychology at Queen's too. I took a placement as part of the end of that degree and moved to a company um, that's part of the WPP group, um, a marketing and advertising conglomerate, and I um, started, did my placement, and as it came to the end of the placement, I was starting my job hunting, and I asked the CEO of the company for some advice, and I was begging on the inside, like I desperately wanted to stay, but I wasn't brave enough to ask. Um, But he asked me if I would stay with the organization and I was absolutely thrilled to do so. I was there right through and right through until just after September the 11th. So I was working in consulting um, when September the 11th happened. And I share this with you because I think there's been kind of some key global events that have affected uh, the world of work. And one was September 11th. Another was a global financial crisis. And we're living through the third right now. Um, And I think at that time I was actually laid off. I was devastated. I couldn't believe it. Um, But I actually got invited back to that very same company about six weeks later into a promoted role. And it was only in preparation for today that I found myself thinking about that because I feel that in the land now of furloughs and layoffs and redundancies, it's easy to get dispirited. And I would say actually maintain your course, keep your optimism and keep your networks open um, for opportunity to come your way. I then shortly after that moved to work for um, British Airports Authority, BAA, um, and um, BAA at that time owned Gatwick, Stansted, Heathrow, three Scottish airports, international businesses. And ultimately I headed up talent for BAA. So we were working out who's gonna be the next MD of Heathrow Um, and Heathrow at that point was, you know, it employed 70,000 people. It was quite an exciting and um, significant place to be um, uh, leading on a talent agenda. I then moved to work for Sedexo, a French facilities management firm, and I headed up talent, leadership, development, and performance management for the UK and Ireland business. And then we got the opportunity um, to move to the States, actually with my husband's job. And um, I just we just took the opportunity. We just thought we always wanted to move here, um, why not? And we came initially thinking it was just, you know, for um, a short-term two-year gig and 10 years later, we're still here. Um, I work for a company called uh, YSC. We're a leadership strategy organization and we help organizations answer the question, have you got the leaders you need to pull off your commercial strategy? Yes, no, how do you know? Um, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. I have the um, privilege of leading the YSC Americas business and I thought now I would just turn my attention to just share with you some of the insights we have about what is um, going to be critical in terms of future skills um, as you set out. So the first thing to share with you is at YSE we spend a lot of our time assessing and developing senior leaders. We're operating top of house, we've got great insights into what does it take to be successful. Um, And what you see on this slide in in the centre there in terms of judgement, drive and influence, those are the core elements of potential and this has come from the psychology of success across a range of um, industries and walks of life. And these things hold true in terms of judgment, how do you think, how do you process, how do you make decisions, drive, how do you use your energy, your resilience, your initiative, and influence, how do you read a situation, how do you influence, how self-aware are you? And what I've mapped around here is based on research from a number of different places, but also from the World Economic Forum about the future skills. And you'll see that these map into these areas of judgment, drive, and influence. And I just wanted to share these with you um, because these um, seven elements are things to think about as you're walking into. Um, conversation opportunities, walking into meetings, whatever it is, wherever you find yourself, um, these will have um, relevance. So let me just start briefly on judgment. I think one of the critical things is around this global mindset. It's the ability to think beyond what's presenting in front of you. It's the ability to be able to connect concepts and see things at a macro level. The leveraging big data and AI, Binod and uh, Fergus will talk more I'm sure about these areas, but really um, think about how does technology and um, data play into your world of work. And even if you chose English and history for good reason, you really want to be thinking about how do you leverage data and technology going forward because you definitely don't want to be left behind. And the last piece around judgment is this ability to think flexibly, to be able to innovate, to be able to connect concepts really critical as the pace of change just accelerates and accelerates. The next place I want to take you is around this comfort with ambiguity. It's really important to be able to be resilient, to be confident enough to be able to thrive when things are uncertain. And it's just becoming such a critical skill as we um, look at leaders going forward. And then into the area of influence. Now, some of this might feel that it's a step beyond where you are right now around leading others. But I would say to you, even if you are an individual contributor and you're not yet leading a team or a business or a function or an enterprise, think of yourself as a leader in that individual contribution that you make. Think about how you're going to grow people around you, how you're going to be additive to their journey. Think about how inclusive and authentic you can be within your workplace and think about your impact, um, you know, in every interaction that you're having, you know, are you projecting the sort of leader that you want to be in the future? So I'm going to just pause there and um, create a bit of space now to hand over to Fergus.
1: Perfect. I'm going to go on to the first slide. You notice though at the moment I've got this mind source. I'll come back to that, the company I'm working for at the moment. Um, I, I like Queen so much I came back twice. So I did a, a BSc first of all. I think it must be the, the old boy of this group uh, way back in 79, 82. Um, then I did a very useful internship with uh, BBC London and then came back for a, a PhD. Um, I think NIES, if you don't know what that means, it stands for Northern Ireland Electricity Service. I think it still exists. Um, and uh, they actually helpfully sponsored my PhD, which is to do with um, taking data from power stations like Poolbag and uh, various others up uh, down south and, and in Northern Ireland. Um, I'll go through some of these in more detail in a couple of slides because I've got some pictures to show you, just to give you a feel for how much there is in each company in terms of um, the kinds of things you can do. But basically, one thing led to another. So the BSc, Electronic Engineering, then led into PhD. And I think because um, um, I did a power degree, the CGB were interested in me. Now, that's a company you won't have heard of because it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, It was the nationalised version of uh, National Power, National Grid, Central Electricity Generating Board, which looks after uh, Great Britain, I think, excluding Northern Ireland. Uh, Did a stint there. Um, Then British Airways. So, basically, I switched from utilities to airlines, did a brief stint in London consultancy, didn't like it too much. (laughs) So, uh, a year was enough for me and then back to Airlines Virgin, and then moved into hospitality. That's kind of where I am at the moment. And I'll, I'll give you some examples of these uh, uh, hotels in a second. But I'll, I'll give you some pictures first of all. So that um, is actually a training simulator. Um, so it's a big, big scale on game, if you like. So those guys that are kind of, um, were my colleagues standing around, they're doing some testing, but that simulator desk is in the headquarters in Oldbury, which is near Bristol. And it was powered um, from IBM mainframe, running big computer programs in London and using kind of BT telephone links to make the two talk to each other. So my job in the CGB was basically writing big Fortran programs, which no one talks about anymore. It's not a sexy language, but um, writing real world programs. So we do things like um, the water level in the drums that are, and boil to make the steam that drives the turbines. And uh, we we designed training simulators for gas, oil, coal, which are not so sexy these days, and nuclear, and actually a couple of wind turbines as well, which are coming in around that time. But basically, uh, one thing down to another, CGB was very much around training simulators, but big-scale computing, but meeting the real world. So a lot of real-time processing going on in the CGB. how on earth did I go from there to British Airways? So I actually applied, um, I was in the CGB for three years. Um, I left just before it became um, privatized and broke into the two. But I applied for a job in the training simulators, the flight simulators in British Airways. Didn't get that, but they took me into the IT department for engineering. And you notice that a rather sexy aircraft behind that group of people. I'm in there, I think I'm second row, middle-ish. And darker hair in those days. But we were writing software that basically looked after the maintenance schedules for all of the British Airways and aircraft, including the seven Concours, and that was taken at a Heathrow um, base. But to give you an idea, I mean, that, that's about 60 people, I think about 100 in total. Total Back then, 100 people were in British Airways purely looking after IT for engineering. BA has, uh, as you've noticed, unfortunately, in the press, changed dramatically since, and i sourced everything. But um, pretty much in those days, there was no choice. You did everything inside. You had your own unique software. Um, But I I moved within BA. BA was like a city then, probably still is, in terms of lots and lots of opportunities. So I moved from engineering to a group called product development. And uh, because I had an IT background, my interest was very much around... Um, IT for customer propositions. So back then, uh, this is one of my many projects, we put in BT open zone into the VIP lounges, uh, Heathrow, uh, New York, Gatwick, Dubai, all around the world with with different partners. Back then we actually made some money from Wi-Fi. It wasn't free as it is now, but that was the first implementation of, of Wi-Fi. And to give you another idea, that's kind of led on, this is actually 2001, where British Airways actually led the game, and we put Wi-Fi connectivity on board a test um, 747, a jumbo, that flew every day between London and New York. So customers, I think the cost is about $30 for the a fixed fee for the price. You could start your journey in the lounge, fly on board, do your connectivity, and then finish off in the lounge on the other side. And that was using uh, satellites that Boeing provided. So that was, and this is now commonplace, Norwegian have it, BA have it, Virgin have it. But back then, this is kind of BA leading the game with with, um, Boeing's help to get connectivity in the air using satellites. Um, And then I think the most interesting bit of my BA stint, I moved into what was then um, very embryonic BA.com. So things like um, book yourself a ticket online, choose your seat. I I actually had all the mobile pieces. So um, those little pictures are from a Nokia 7110, which is the the phone that was some fashionable in Matrix, the movie version one. Um, And we had a little, a tiny, tiny version of online checking on those phones using technology called WAP, which certainly doesn't exist any longer. And then basically did my stint. Uh, I did a year out. Willie Walsh came into British Airways, changed things dramatically. And I took voluntary severance. Um, Moved out for a year into a management consultant He put me into telecoms. Um, And then got a tap on the shoulder by some colleagues who'd moved from um, VA to Virgin and introduced me back into another airline. So I've I've worked for Big Blue, British Airways, and Little Red, Virgin Atlantic. Very different styles. But in the Virgin Atlantic experience, I was also doing IT for airports, IT for onboard. And then the, again, more interesting, bit I think for me was moving into versionatlantic.com. So doing the online selling and servicing. And I think we, we spent about a 10th the cost that it cost British Airways to get to do the same thing. We didn't really have that much money in the version. Um, both companies have changed dramatically now, and if there are any questions on that, i am quite happily chat about them, but I certainly was there, and I think the best days of BA and the best days of Virgin. Um, got a tap on the shoulder by um, that gentleman, he's um, called Simon Woodruff, um, he was one of the original Dragon's Den judges, him and his compatriot, Graham Green. Set up um, a very interesting uh, disruptor challenger hotel company, and the reason there's um, sushi on the table, um, Simon is also the um, the guy who set up Yo Sushi. He got some ideas from Japan and brought them back to the UK, and, and brought in these other little um, carousels in restaurants, still going strong. But um, the idea that they, that um, Simon and Jared created together was micro hotels, capsule hotels, a bit bigger. And that was, that's an example of um, one of the bedrooms in New York, again, still going strong. You might notice the bed there looks a little bit petite. And the reason being is it's a very good use of space. You press a button and um, by the side of the bed and that, that bed actually moves out and fills most of the room. So a queen couch, as it is in the moment, becomes a queen bed. And that, again, was borrowed from the idea um, from British Airways and, and from conversion of upper class and um, first class seats that can move. If I move on, um, I won't talk too much about this, but Yotel um, is still going strong. When I was there, we had ten hotels, and I think it's about fifteen or so. Um, but smaller rooms, and th- this is a good example of a kind of disrupt- disruption I concept. So Yotel came in to basically um, allow hospitality asset managers to squeeze more rooms into the same cubic space, but still have a good good price to the customer. But put in more technology, so it's it a kind of a millennial and uh, young at heart te- hotel concept. If you go to, I recommend you go to the hotel website. You'll still see some very interesting, funky technology. Um, I won't dwell too much on this one, but uh, Yotel is right in the middle there, and this is this is kind of an X Y chart of um, pricing, so the cost you stay versus the luxury level. So Yotel wasn't trying to compete with um, W or um, Dorchester Collection or Edition, kind of the really, really high-end brands. But neither was it trying to be cheap as chips down there with um, Travel Lodge and Easy Hotel, both of which are very good at their proposition. The hotel was um, trying to create a new space called affordable luxury. So decent decent price, so it wasn't cheap. Um, I'll give you an example. New York prices could be $200, $300 over for one night during the year. Um, but could be 99 dollars in january when the when the weather gets pretty inclement in new york um, moved from there um after a few years the hotel was kind of becoming more of an asset management company so i wanted to go back into more functional hotels and went from basically a three and a half star company which is your hotel to five star red carnation is a family-run hotel and has 17 hotels globally including two in ireland although they're down south yeah, County Mayo, that's um, some gorgeous uh, uh, um, castle hotels, um, six or seven in London, and they're all four or five star. And mm-hmm. give you an idea, staying a night in that, which is Ashford Castle Hotel, would cost from minimum 600 euros a night to 4,000 euros a night. So a very different ballpark. Um, but Red Carnation is very much leading with service and was relatively light on the technology. This is my summary if I haven't run out of time. Life learnings are as many as I could squeeze in. Um, Yes, I think learn, I call them the basics, learn the basics. So, um, customer focus, commercial acumen, project management. These probably aren't the things you'd study in your courses, but these are the softer skills that you really need to focus on because these are relevant to every every job out there, especially teamwork and collaboration. don't be afraid to pivot. This is going kind to of be flexible. Pivot is kind of a more modern term for. Oops, I made a made a uh, mistake. Change direction, and a lot of the dot coms did that very very quickly. But um, don't be afraid if you think you're going the wrong in the wrong company, doing the wrong job. Um, don't be afraid to pivot. Um, and I think as, as Tessa was saying, try new things. Be be agile. Um, work overseas. I think that's one of the first of my. Uh, queen's year to go into london and, and change tech completely right now i think I've been, it's been said that if you want to if you want to improve yourself do learn two languages one's mandarin chinese and one is computer language of some kind python's a very strong um, artificial intelligence oriented language definitely get on linkedin uh, listen before you start posting things to just uh, find your way around. But get, get your profile up on LinkedIn as soon as you can and join groups on LinkedIn. Don't forget your personal network is so important. Um, and Societies are in, are in your area of interest. So for me, IET, Institute of Electronic of um, Electrical Technology, and those other two are hotel things. Um, I'm also a trustee of the Royal Institution, which is um, the guys who do the Christmas Lectures, uh, which is based in, in Piccadilly. And um, they've actually got a lecture on tomorrow. They're, they're running free lectures, now that were all in lockdown rather than their lovely physical building. Um, whatever happens, don't burn bridges. So make sure you um, aren't nasty to people, um, but that doesn't mean you let them run over you, but don't burn bridges because you may meet the same people time and time again and it isn't all about work and you know, so, um, make sure you've got a life and um, you know something more and hobby to keep those things going um i put a couple of these are clickable links you'll get in in the deck from me but uh, one talks a bit more about detail some of the things i did in british airways and one talks more about the version Atlantic piece i'll also add a third um, link is the company i use in both British Airways and Version called Inspiring Interns. I think they're still going, but um, I got graduates, interns effectively come into both BA and Virgin and actually Yotel as well to do some um, short-term projects. And in both cases, uh, I ended up taking those students on into real jobs thereafter, so um, I recommend that approach as well. And I think that's, that's me.
0: Thank you very much indeed fergus and thank you tessa um as well um
3: so diana saw that we have a number of questions coming in through that in the chat Do you want to kick off with those yeah we have a few questions that came in thank you Emer. um first of all a question specifically for tessa um basically around advice for students um who want to move away from northern ireland and seek graduate employment outside of northern ireland more generally i suppose would you have any general advice But specifically, did you feel that the year abroad that you spent during your time at Queen's helped you to adjust to moving abroad and settling in the States?
2: Yes. Can you hear me Okay. Yes, you can. Perfect.
3: Perfect. Um, So what would I
2: say? I would say keep your options open and be really, really flexible, because if. Because our context, we were supposed to be moving to the States with my husband's job at the time, and I'll take you in on this, he was working with Lehman Brothers, and as most of you will know, Lehman Brothers went down in September 2008, and we were to move with Lehman Brothers in the summer of 2009, and we thought our opportunity was gone, and that's not what happened. Um, Nomura bought over Lehman in Europe and Asia, we got the same opportunity a year, you know, exactly the same timelines. So there's something about just keep the faith, um, you know, the things will kind of come your way. Um, but I would just keep options open. And to the specific question about, yeah, the year in Pittsburgh definitely opened up my eyes to just, I think, to that point about diversity, you know, just the variety of people that you interact with, you know, how do you make connections with people? How do you keep in touch with people? How do you keep relationships authentic and uh, sustained over time? And it certainly it certainly helped um, whenever we moved to state, because one of the things that people don't tell you about New York is that it's a very transient um, population. So it's really difficult actually to make friends. You tend to find that international people make friends with international people, because local people are like, well, they're coming and going. So it can be hard to have um, a sticky, sustained relationship um, in a city that um, feels like it's always moving. I hope that answers the question.
3: Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Tessa. Um, Another question for yourself and um, Fergus um, around experience. So a number of students have sort of made comments in the chat around some of them feel that they lack experience. We also have a student whose internship, unfortunately, has fallen through due, due to the current situation. They're furloughed from their placement at the moment. And I suppose they have concerns around that and whether their lack of experience Will be, you know, a drawback. Maybe, Fergus, if you could take that one first,
1: if that's okay. Well, I just remember to turn my mic. Um I, I think, I mean, uh, having employed many interns in my time, you're not looking for experience from an intern. You're looking for attitude, flexibility, positiveness, positivity. So I, I think it's more a case of um, stress. What you enjoyed university, stress would interest you. Um, and just show that you've got flexible, you're willing to learn, you've got flexible skills, you sit and listen, you'll be hands-on if need be, you'll do a bit of training if need be. So I think, yeah, attitude is so much more important uh, for trainees and experience, I would say.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Tessa? I'd probably just put two more thoughts to that. One is I would get creative, um, you know, because I assess people for a living. And uh, when people are able to say I was leading the sports team or I volunteered there, you know, being able to... Demonstrate experience in other places and being able to tell the story um, and weave a bit of a story around what you got out of it. The second thing I would say is, and it builds off Fergus's point, when I was showing the potential model earlier, drive is one of the things that you can't develop if people don't have it. You know, people will always say, I hire for attitude and I will train capability and skill. So show your initiative, because that's one thing. If people don't have innate initiative, it's really difficult to put it into people. So just show your initiative, get creative, get out there.
3: Thank you, that's great. I suppose following on from that then, we have a question just around that experience and your experience wheel, if you like, Tessa. Um, One student is asking what is the most effective way of incorporating future skills in our conventional skills uh, and another student um, is asking, um, how were you able to translate your education into experience when applying for positions? Um, I, she's sort of saying all positions seem to require so much experience. I guess you've kind of answered that already. That's more about attitude. Um, and what advice would you give to students and graduates trying to find internships or entry-level positions at the moment?
2: I would cast the net wide um, I would be open to lots of different because sometimes things present one way but the actuality is a bit different so I would be quite open-minded um, to where the opportunity lies and I would also do the work it is not the work of the employer to join the dots between your experience your degree and the opportunity you need to do that thinking for them and lay it out for them and have that um, have that work done um, so that it's easy for them to see how what you have, um, fits with what they're looking for and some always go
3: that extra mile. Thank you. A question specifically for Fergus, a little bit um, lighter, I guess. Um, one student has asked, he said, thanks for a great presentation. Can I just ask Fergus, um, uh, working for such a fanta- in such fantastic surroundings such as five-star hotels, does that change your lifestyle much?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So the, the secret no one tells you, um five-star hotels that the bulk of the staff work underground in rooms with no windows and, um, it's, it's cobbler's children if you know the expression um a lot of the technology is pretty ancient especially in five-star hotels so um the the, the money is spent on the customer experience which, which it should be because the customers are paying the bills your bills and your wages but um yeah it, um, you, you wear a tie you wear a tie and if you go above ground uh, blinking in the daylight um, you have to um, act at your age and, and uh, be on duty all the time but you know behind the scenes and that's true of everything Dorchester collections exactly the same. Um, a lot of the hard work goes on underground in, in um, dungeons that uh, the, custody the staff do not see.
3: <laughs> Thank you, thanks for that. Um, a question here around um, change in direction obviously both of you have had quite a a varied career and worked for a number of organizations throughout your career to date so can you recommend anything um around changing direction i have 10 years experience working in another country it took a big turn in my career and fear that um it's not relevant
2: so i would challenge that i think if you have 10 years experience in anything there's something that you can pull forward and pull through that into a new experience if you're wondering how to make that happen sit down with somebody else and get them to ask you questions to pull that out because there's definitely experience Um, capabilities, insights, learnings and if if you are finding it difficult to kind of process that yourself get somebody to coach you through it and just say what would you do differently if you're playing that again or what might that mean in X industry and just get some help um, to um, work that out.
1: Just just to add to that as as well, um, the phrase that a lot of recruiters use and sure Tessa knows as well as well is transferable skills so you may have been doing x but actually x can become y because they're not that different so don't say i don't know you're um you're a a, a offline marketing expert um say you're a marketing expert which can also translate to online is that kind of transferable i know the basics i know the um the capabilities and i'm sure i can do that as well kind of transferable skills is something you should be stressing in your your cvs
3: okay great thank you I'll hand back to Emer, and um, she can introduce the the next two speakers. Thank you both, Rachel and Fergus. Thank you. Yes,
0: thank you both, and thank you, Diane. Um also, just as we're talking here, um, I've put out um, to the audience there a poll about networking. Um, just asking you, the audience there, in terms of um, uh, what sort of networking um, you currently use. You can. Uh, more than one answer in that poll there. But just picking up on a couple of things there as well. Um, one of the student questions there was someone who had a placement that had fallen through, and be some people in the audience tonight maybe have had a graduate role that is, has fallen through. Um, and it was interesting hearing Tessa talking about that in terms of, um, you know, challenging yourself in terms of, of thinking and so on. Because I guess you got to look as well at this time and at the positives. In that you got there, you got that role originally. It's 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 a, you got yourself positively into that position. It's circumstances here are very unusual. Otherwise, you would be in that role. But you've obviously made a good contact and a good network there with them. You've impressed them. So and as Fergus was saying, don't burn bridges. That's a connection for you where you had made a positive impression. Keep that. Um, and also in terms of uh, things that were said there in terms of networking as well and the importance of the contacts you have here at Queen's the importance of the, context, the contacts that you have in your wider sphere of influence and also those from placements, from earlier jobs and so on Fergus mentioned don't burn bridges um, which is important and also um, I heard Tessa talking there about the importance of authentic relationships because those are the ones that people buy most into an employer will want to feel that you're genuine authentic as well. So um, the number of responses coming in here, I can see um, quite a number of you um, are using potential online, things like LinkedIn, social media, just the other big one is personal um, networks as well. Um, is coming in, certainly all of those that we had put in, oh, 9% had had none of them, above perhaps some, some others, but certainly one of the things we want to do this evening as well, just to encourage you in terms of networking and thinking about that going forward. So the next um, piece, we're now moving into our two second speakers, Jordan and um, Binud. So um, thank you very much for joining us this evening, uh, Jordan. Um, Obviously they're in at the bottom and whenever you're ready, if you want to move through into your presentation.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and um, especially as a, as a Queens alumni uh, it's definitely near and dear to my heart and also to represent um, First Tribute as well. So I'm really happy to be here. Um, I guess a little bit of background kind of a, about myself to, to start off with. Um, as you can see, I did put a wee snippet of my LinkedIn. I cannot stress enough just across the board um, how important LinkedIn is. And um, it just keeps you up to date with other people that, you know, um, it helps you make new contacts Um, jobs are posted there. You can apply for roles there. And you're able to kind of break down and specify things that you're interested in your skill set but that's a whole other lecture but um, i would highly recommend getting connected to, to people you meet on on linkedin um so i guess just a little bit about me um in my background um you can maybe tell from my accent um i've got a weird blend now but i'm from the united states originally um and i moved to northern ireland to attend queens and um, for my master's i got my master's of business administration um, an international business, and I graduated in 2017, I think, so um, from that course. Um, and now I'm currently working for First Derivatives, um, which is actually one of the largest graduate recruiters, or is the largest graduate recruiter uh, across the Ireland, island of Ireland. So um, hopefully in between kind of my experience so far to date and um, kind of that background that I'm working in now, I'll be able to give you guys some helpful tips. Um, Unlike some of my co-panelists here, which have a lot of really great insights to give you, um, I am a lot more in the early stages of my career than they are. So um, I probably know um, a lot about kind of what you're going through in and, and some ways. I know finding a job can be incredibly difficult, especially in um, different circumstances. So um, hopefully I'll be able to offer you guys some, some new information. But first I'll just take you a little bit through my, my um, background kind of up to now and then going to give you some more insight as as a recruiter um so I just kind of threw everything into one slide because my journey was kind of zigzagged and all over the place so I did my undergraduate degree at the University of North Georgia um which is a tiny tiny town a tiny college in a tiny town in, in Georgia and um, I guess where I'm from there it was very much a um, kind of a small community but I knew kind of from from the beginning that I wanted to travel and to experience new cultures and things like that. So I studied management in my undergraduate degree um, and then spent uh, six months studying abroad in Morocco at Al-Hakouane University. So um, that was something that I think growing up, I I never thought I would even be able to to go study abroad. Um, And I took a kind of a a big leap there. I knew very little about Morocco kind of going in. Um, I probably never thought I'd be on the continent of Africa studying um but i think that's one of those things where the opportunity presented itself and sometimes you just have to take the jump and take the leap and it was one of the best experiences of my entire life Um, not only did i learn so much about other cultures um i was studying management so business and other cultures kind of managing um kind of the thought process i already had about the united states the united states kind of climate um versus european and transatlantic and all those other things as well but i got to also have a lot of amazing personal experiences as well. I threw in a little photo of me with a camel in the Sahara Desert Um, so if I hadn't have just taken that leap um, I never would have gotten to have an experience like that. Um, I guess while I was still studying when I was finishing up my final semester I took a job at a uh, North Georgia wildlife park or zoo Um, so I took my first role there while I was finishing my degree and kind of the first couple months after I got my management degree um, and I got a role in marketing and visitor experience so um that was mostly around social media marketing, kind of making different outreach and connections and then a lot of event planning and marketing. So um, kids camps and theme nights and all those kinds of things kind of fell into my realm of um, responsibility. So I got a lot of experience there. I learned a lot. And it was a, it's a smaller zoo. Uh, probably wouldn't be totally unlike to, to Belfast Zoo. Um, but because of that, I was pretty much the only one in marketing and kind of given my I had a degree but my degree was in management and I did enjoy what I was doing but I just wasn't sure I was doing it well enough maybe I just didn't have the kind of the skills there to be running a one-person department and making a huge difference so I decided I wanted to look to expand my education further um, and I always knew I wanted to to live abroad as well so that's when I came across Queens University um, and that's where I did my MBA so I spent a full year studying here um, and then while I was studying there I also happened to work in the careers office so I actually know a lot of the people on the careers team and the people that you maybe talk to on a day-to-day basis or if you are recently gone to Queen's and you um, went to the student guidance center I was one of those people that stood on the ground floor and helped answer questions and probably point you in the, right, in the right direction so through that I met a lot of different employers and different people and picked up a lot of different skills from that alone but And that's kind of where I came across First Derivatives as well. Um, So some of you may have maybe heard of First Derivatives, um, maybe a wee bit, Um, our headquarters is in Newry, which is pretty much equidistant between Dublin and Belfast. So although it seems like it may be in the middle of nowhere, it's actually a really good position to be in, um, kind of when you've got a currently global business. So we now have over 2,600 staff, um, 15 global offices, New York, Singapore, Hong Kong, Sydney, Australia, much everywhere all over the world and we offer a lot of opportunities for graduates to travel and work in different areas. Um, I'll go into a little bit more detail on, on First Derivatives and the kind of um, roles we have in a, in a little bit. Um, but the way I got into First Derivatives actually funnily enough, um, I had some experience in marketing and I did my management degree but I applied for the Futures program and if you don't know much about First Derivatives it's basically an introduction to finance and technology and learning how to code and all these things that. I had zero skill set in, Um, so I just kind of took a leap there. The Futures program was open to all degree backgrounds, so um, we'll teach you everything from from the ground up. Um, And so I kind of took took a leap there. I was always willing to learn, always happy to learn new things, And so I applied for that. Um, Kind of given my background and experience so far, there was actually a role opening up right at that time in marketing. And in PR, so that's kind of where I ended up going into, falling into that area and filling kind of that need there. Um, but I guess just on that point alone, um, I think if you're willing to try new things and willing to learn things, um, take the leap, try it. Um, you never know how things may turn and pivot for you. Um, I, I fell into this marketing position and absolutely loved it, and I took it and ran. So, um, obviously I had some experience in it, but I was not working in a financial technology company, so something completely unbeknownst to me I knew nothing I knew very little about finance I didn't do great my finance courses to start with Um, and I knew nothing about technology and our technology is focused on big data and data science and all kinds of things so there was a lot of learning involved in that as well Um, and then my kind of role formed from just marketing to focus specifically on PR and then I started running the entire um, kind of public relations function Um, in court like in coordination with the rest of the marketing team but that was kind of my niche area um but I had no background in PR either it was something that I was teaching myself so um I then did a diploma in public relations um, for the technology sector completely online through the Fitzwilliam Institute um and I guess from there I've just kind of never stopped learning I think um one of my key tips across the board is that you're never you're never going to be fully prepared for anything so I think just being prepared to just being open to learning new things and having the drive to if I don't know that I, I want to learn it and I want to do the best I can I think um, that's really important but that really made a difference um, kind of doing that diploma and learning to apply that to my job um, and I ended up getting uh, nominated for Young Marketing Professional of the Year in the Computing Tech Marketing Innovation Awards um, and that was a really big moment for me especially so early on in my career I'd only been a couple years in so that, that was great Um, And then I also worked um, on some Amazon uh, web services uh, kind of business partnership relationship as well. So um, I kind of went out of my way to get um, an Amazon certificate as well. So I guess the whole point of most of this slide is that um, don't ever think that you're going to stop learning. I think that's a big part um, of just personal growth and um, professional growth as well. Um, Moving on to a little bit more to my current role, um, about six to eight months ago, I moved over to the people team, um, focusing more on the HR aspect of the role, marketing our um, recruitment and graduate opportunities, and kind of just working on the broader HR and talent acquisition team. Um, so I, I guess, historically, we've recruited typically about 300 graduates per year. So I speak to a lot of you, i Megan has spoken to some of you before, um, and we do tons of events and different things like that. So um, we, we have a pretty sizable um, graduate intake every year, and those come from not only Northern Ireland and Ireland, but all over the world. So We've got grads from America and Australia and Madrid and Hong Kong. Uh, like I said, we're we're very global. everyone starts with us at our headquarters in Newry. So um, there's lots of um, different internationalities and and cultures and people kind of all coming together in one place. So I guess to touch on kind of what we look for and graduates, um I think the first thing that we look for is how you've gone above and beyond. So, Um, And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean it in a very specific sense. Um, I think I mean that more in um, you go to uni and if you just go to class, obviously, you're going to learn those things, um, the things that you need to know to graduate. But what what else have you done? Have you um, taken a leadership role in a project? Do you have a part time job? Have you gotten involved in societies and clubs, meet up groups? Um, There are tons of different ways to get involved and you may not even think about them as you're doing them sports teams. Pretty much anything you do that adds kind of to the skill set you're already building um, outside of just uni is, is something that you should definitely be highlighting on your CV and builds a, a lot of different um, kind of attributes and skills. Um, another thing we, we look for as well is just personal awareness. So um, I think kind of following off the back of my other panelists as well, um, we, we don't expect you to know everything coming out of university. We don't necessarily expect you to have a job um, prior to this or placement year. We know that doesn't always work out for everybody. Um, but I think knowing kind of where your strengths are, um, taking time to analyze where your strengths and weaknesses are, where you can improve and where you can add value um, and where your transferable skills are. So something you've picked up before um, even leading a team and football or something like that and how you can bring that to a job, um, kind of critically thinking about that um, and being able to speak to that um, and to an interviewer is is really important. Teamworking working skills are also incredibly important. And I think those can be sometimes understated or it may seem obvious, um, but pretty much everything that our company does is, is team based and pretty much anywhere you go, you're, you're never gonna be working as your own. Um, I think there's a common misconception in, in tech to begin with that you're behind a computer and you're coding and you don't have to have interpersonal skills and that's so far from the truth. You're always gonna be working with other people and collaborating on things. So um, highlighting those skills and having those kind of team working skills is really important. And that doesn't mean that you need to be the leader of a team all the time, um, kind of falling into personal awareness as well. Sometimes um, project management um, may not be your particular strength. And then that's okay too. It's it's kind of knowing where you're able to help add value is, is really important. Um, and the most important thing is is definitely the, the right attitude um, uh, approaching different problems and scenarios with, with a positive attitude and um, being willing to, to learn and take on new challenges is is so important. Um, I guess really more than ever though now is also a good time to make a good first impression so whether that's through your CV or if you um, pretty much everything is done virtually at the moment um, or from afar so a video interview or a phone interview all that's really important so um, I think now especially if you have some downtime to, to really focus on building up your CV that's uh, definitely a really uh, important thing to, to make a good first impression. Um, I guess Following off of this as well, you're using lockdown productively during this time. So that would be kind of my, my key tip. We, as an employer, we are fully aware that a lot of people are going to be losing their placements and their graduate roles. And um, a year from now or two years from now, whenever you're, you're graduating, whatever that may be, or um, if you've already graduated and you start looking for jobs, we know that's the situation. Um, so we're, we're not I guess we're not expecting huge things. Like If, if a placement doesn't work out for you, um, show us your skills in other ways. And the first way to do that, I suppose, is to optimize your CV. So um, I think from an employer point of view, there's a couple of tips there that I think would be good to highlight. Um, an obvious one as well is spelling and grammar. This is missed all of the time still somehow, but have other people read it, do an extra spell check, put it through Grammarly, and um, make sure there's no mistakes on your CV because that just shows you don't have um, the best attention to detail. Um, and now is an important time to, to be highlighting that. Um, I would also use this time as well where you've got some extra time to, to really build up a layout of how you want your CV to look. Maybe don't make it just a list of bullets. Maybe make the way you want, the way you want it to look and the way you present your actual skill set and your job um, descriptions, if you have any. It's really important. Um, a- another thing to touch on as well, just like I said, we know you're a graduate. We know you're coming out of uni, so we don't expect you to have tons of experience. So your CV doesn't need to be four or five pages with a list of every skill and every project you've ever done. Um, I think really tailor your CV to the role you're applying for um, and, and make sure it's, it's relevant and you're highlighting the key skills and the key projects that are relevant to the, the job you're doing. Um, the next thing to touch on is is kind of doing your research. So if you know what you want to do and um, you know what industry you want to get in, that's great. And this is that's this is the perfect time to gain genuine knowledge in that area. So um, what's happening in the industry right now? Who are the major players? What are the current trends? Who are the your dream company, who are their competitors. Being genuinely knowledgeable about those kinds of things in the industry is a great way to impress your recruiter. And it's really obvious when you're on the other end, if somebody's just rehearsing things that they've practiced um, from what they've read off of your website. And um, granted, that's better than not knowing anything at all about a company, but if you can genuinely know about the industry, that's a great way to kind of really impress your and your, um, your, your interviewer. Um, on the contrary, if you're not sure what you want to do, which is something that I really struggled with, um, kind of getting into my career, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do at all. And it can be very difficult to kind of figure that out. So um, it, it may be a good time now to take um, some extra time rather than applying for everything you see to um, take a step back and reflect on your career and what you want out of your career. If you want to travel or work closer to home, if you want something with a rapid career progression or if you want something that's maybe not quite as fast paced. Um, if you are really passionate about um, environmental awareness or charity work, you may want to look at companies that offer time um, in lieu. So you can do charity work a certain number of hours per month, some companies offer. Um, if those are the things that are important to you, I think those are the things that you need to take the time to, to highlight and address during this time. And um, I won't hone too much on the importance of LinkedIn because I did touch on those earlier, but I definitely think that that's um, a really important part of, of building connections and staying connected. And building genuine relationships can also kind of be um, supported by liking people's posts, commenting when they have an accomplishment or a promotion. And just keeping in touch in those little ways rather than having to. You don't feel like you have to call somebody every couple of weeks or a month to keep that connection. I think LinkedIn really facilitates a way to to stay in touch with people without um, maybe overdoing it or coming across disingenuous. it also helps you build your, your personal brand, I suppose, and being able to identify your talents and communicate them effectively to your employer or your peers, your community is is, a part, is important. Um, and If you have some extra time and you've got the drive to learn, there are tons of places offering free online courses at the moment. And um, so there's Coursera, Udemy, LinkedIn Learning, about a million others that are offering free courses right now, given the current situation. So I do have a, our, our company has a blog kind of on these different areas and going into them more expansively. So I have added a link there if anybody's interested in reading a little bit more on specifics and kind of more content in, in that area. Um, I think touching brief, I know I'm probably taking up more time than I probably should, so I'll probably rush, go through the rest of these here quickly. Um, but I guess what to expect in your job search now. Um, so many companies have had to redact offers or, or push them out. Um, I know for derivatives we've, um, had we've been able to the word I'm looking for is just escape me. We've been able to facilitate a few different kind of virtual training sessions um, from afar for kind of a small number of of graduates. But um, for the most part, we we've had to def- defer a lot of our graduate intake. So um, we haven't redacted anything. We're hoping we're not going to have to ever do that. Um, but our timelines have changed a little bit. So um, I know a lot of other companies are in similar situations, and a lot of other companies have had to pull their offers completely. So I think the first thing is is to be flexible and to be patient um, I think those are the really important things um, even from an employer perspective we don't want to take those away we want you to come on board and we we like you to begin with so um, try to maintain those relationships and, and understand the other side as well. Um, a lot of employers will still have plans to hire graduates this is kind of built into their fundamental um, way of, of bringing in good employees and building up uh, talent so and um, I would say don't give up hope things will pick up back up again. It's just the uncertainty of right now and kind of what that looks like for the next few months can be quite difficult. So the landscape will be competitive. Um I think across the board, everyone's kind of in the same boat looking for these positions. So the, the more you can do now to kind of amp up your CV, um, the, the more you'll appreciate that for yourself later. Um, another thing, if you do get into recruitment processes and you're speaking to people, pretty much everything will be done virtually. So um, whether that's phone interviews, things like that, be prepared for those, and um, and then soft skills like time management um, will be more important than ever. I know working from home and virtually um, being able to manage your own time without people checking in on you in person all the time will be really important. Um, these are just some resources. I'll leave these for now just because they'll be in the deck. If you guys take a look at this afterwards, um, just a couple quick tips, and then I'll be done on my end. And um, don't get discouraged. Um, spend some time perfecting your CV and um, invest. In yourself, even if that's just time, and take some time to kind of figure out what you want to do, identify your own strengths, and and then just my personal tips. And this is the end for me: is just don't be afraid to go out of your comfort zone. I wouldn't have the a career that I love now, working for a company that I absolutely love, if I didn't take the leap and go abroad. I moved across the world, and I will now work in a fintech company. I never thought I would do that, so um, I think don't be afraid to put yourself out there and um, take a risk. Sometimes it's good for you um find a coach or a mentor um even if that's somebody I know I found people in in my kind of sector through work and I've also found people um I'm currently working in recruitment so I've reached out to somebody at my dad's company that knows my dad quite well and my dad would be um in a completely different sector but works has obviously colleagues that work in recruitment so even just speaking to somebody that has more experience than you they can share things with you that they wish that they'd known before so it may have taken them five years to figure out one specific thing and if they tell you that it will save you a lot of time um so I definitely think finding mentors that you, that you can speak to um through any personal connections you have is, is really important and really helpful um, and just never stop learning and try your best to, to make the journey fun it may not always be easy and it may not always be um, what you thought at the, at the beginning but um, having a positive attitude will make everything um, a lot easier but I think I slightly went over there so apologies Imer but that's me on my end. Thank you and
0: yes I mean we are going over time a little bit but these are some very genuine messages and tips that our uh, panel are sharing with you so our final speaker this evening is Binid and uh, thank you very much for joining us Binid.
5: Hello Imer, uh, thank you very much. Uh... Hi everybody, uh, my name is Binod Matin and uh, my introduction has already been given so I uh, I would like to just uh, start with my early uh, education and job just uh, a little bit of idea about that. I, I had my BSc honors in chemistry and also MSc in analytical chemistry. Analytical chemistry in fact it was when I did, it was not a popular subject, but uh, I, I could visualize that, yes, it's a very important subject for industry and academia both. So I, I just uh, pursued on that and then I, I finished that degree. I also wanted to go for higher studies and particularly higher studies in the UK because I knew some of the analytical chemistry department in the UK, so I I wanted to come over, but unfortunately, I couldn't get the right opportunity at that time. So I preferred to uh, do a couple of jobs in India. Uh, I, I took a job with the groundwater board, this is a government of India organization, and i I could do that uh, a lot of work on groundwater quality mapping and exploration uh, for almost seven years and And then I moved on to industry because I knew that analytical chemistry is important also in industry. So there are also, I connected from water to wastewater, but also took care of the quality management of paper. And uh, then the opportunity coming in for the Queen's University Belfast, because I, I never given up. I have been always trying to do a PhD and it didn't happen, and um, almost seven years has gone by by then. And I tried various uh, uh, university in, in the UK uh, who were known for analytical chemistry. And fortunately, I got uh, an offer uh, for a studentship. Uh, primarily, it was a teaching assistantship from a very learned professor, Professor Duncan Thorburn Byrne, who was. Uh, Uh, professor in the analytical chemistry department and the chemistry department uh, in in the in Queen's University of Belfast was one of the four university who were well, well known for analytical chemistry and it was a first chair established chair of analytical chemistry so I was very lucky to get in that department and I prefer to work on there what I have gained there because my main aim was to Uh, study analytical chemistry and keep on advancing it so I I, uh, got uh, added opportunity of laboratory teaching which has actually made me to learn more of the uh, chemistry and analytical chemistry because I was doing both teaching and and learning Uh, and then I was uh, I was working on a problem which was very complex problem actually because a lot of work had been done already and in when you are doing uh, research for a PhD, it's always very critical because if you take a new topic, yes, then then uh, you you have uh, whatever approach you apply, it's uh, uh, you know it's a new of its own. It could be a new finding, it could be a repeat finding. But for me, it was a, a challenge to find new from the old work done. And it was very interesting and I could do a lot of work and then eventually I succeeded. Of course, I got expert guidance and supervision by uh, Professor Burns and I could successfully complete the PhD. And uh, I also got uh, excellent support from my colleagues and the staff in the chemistry department also from the other departments in the university because uh, my uh, like going to the computer uh, uh, department also geography department some some kind of instruments like electron microscope and things like that which was available in some other department and i was able to get help from everybody and i have been very successful and i really enjoyed working uh, for phd and I could do uh, some very interesting publication in, in uh, you know, high impact journals, uh, and a lot of learning for also presentation in the conference, both internal and, and the global conferences. Uh, regarding social life, yes, that was another very uh, important thing because the, I, I was working in Belfast when it was uh, not very uh, environmental friendly at that time. But uh, even then, I enjoyed very friendly people. Uh, I enjoyed their uh, hospitality very much. And also, I enjoyed going around uh, because uh, Northern Ireland is a very scenic uh, place. So I did that. Some pictures, you uh, can see that we in, in the department, we often have the meal together or picnic and here are the couple of pictures from my lab. Uh, you can see I'm working on on the some electrochemistry and things like that. And post PhD also it was very uh, interesting, and I would like to share with you because I could get the job uh, invitation even when I was about to finish. So I, I when I finished got the degree. Within a week, I was back to India and I got a very respectable position uh, as the head of analytical research uh, in one of the premium institute in India. And I worked for almost six years and did lots of analytical research and application of analytical chemistry in various fields. And then I was invited to uh, come to a global uh, a global beverage company, uh, this actually is the Indian global Indian multinational, as they used to call it. Now it's a it's a Diageo company in India, and I joined as a senior manager, and I worked for almost twenty five years there, and uh, then I was eventually retired as senior technology officer from the company. I was also heading the technical center, which was one of the state-of-art technical center or we used to call center of excellence and i worked there for 25 years and i was head for almost 14 years as well many accomplishments all analytical and sensory sciences and also quality management all it's a company-wide quality management so we had about 60 uh, producing units and it were all centrally uh, handled so, uh, I, and I was heading the center. So it's a, it's a great experience, actually. To, and, and I would say that I could leverage uh, to the maximum what I have learned at Cranes. It was totally uh, transferable uh, in terms of uh, technology and a skill uh, while working in these places. And and I have also got into newer areas, which are the allied areas. It's very interesting. And I would suggest this is very, very critical because we work or study in one core area. If we are able to multiply that area in other uh, allied areas, it's very important. And then it becomes very enjoyable as well. Like in my case, you know, I just did analytical chemistry and I could transfer it to sensory sciences. And now at the moment, uh, currently, I'm working uh, in the food pairing, which is very, very important. Food pairing is just just uh, it's amazing, actually, because it involves a very high tech analysis and then uh, analysis of both food and the beverages and then pairing based on the commonality. Then I could pub- publish many papers. So it's a, it's a good training at Queens uh, which was very valuable in doing presentation and publication. I could publish many papers. And by working and the experience, I've been invited also to participate at the jury panel in uh, some of the very prestigious uh, spirit competitions. So they invite uh, me to judge. I'm also... Uh, m- member of societies, which is very important, like the uh, Royal Society of Chemistry, where I'm, I'm a fellow of uh, Royal Society of Chemistry that leverages that I'm able to leverage also in my uh, career quite a bit. Uh, currently, I'm, I'm a consultant and consulting to a couple of uh, companies like Trimium Beverages. They are the premium cider uh, producer uh, in India and Flavor Active uh they they are the global sensory training uh, provider and they they are based in London and I I help them in the spirit sensory and I enjoy every bit of it also now I would like to share uh what 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 the long-term value I got from uh Prince degree I could achieve my lifelong ambition. That was the advancing my uh, learning analytical chemistry and uh, continuously advancing it. The key positions, I could uh, go to the key position and continuously uh, increasing my salary or position all the time. It's, and, and it's all because of the widely recognized degree from Queen's University. Then it also helped me in the in-depth knowledge, which I have learned at the PhD level and also at work because the continuous uh, uh, learning is very, very important, which helps me in driving the research and innovation at all times. And also expanding knowledge domain is very, very important because uh, that helps in going forward, in choosing newer areas, in applying problem solving, and uh, effective project management everywhere. This uh, increased knowledge will be helpful. And then excellence is performance is very very important because industry always look for deliverables and timely deliverables. So it's very very important to uh, follow these things. And then professional network networking is very important. My uh, other speakers, fellow speakers, have also emphasized on that and and i am also very uh, keen on that uh, networking because that helps a lot how to articulate because you see uh, one very very important thing when we uh, uh, when we employ someone we don't always look only on the qualification because that is that is the first part but the, the most important thing that what you have, what is your strength besides the degree, like what specialized knowledge, what hands-on experience, then transferable skill, interpersonal skill, communication skill, organizational skill, publication and presentation skill, team building, and commitment and continuous learning is as, as I mentioned before, is very, very important. Critical thinking, problem solving, sometimes problem solving becomes very critical because we don't have time and problem has to be solved but if we if you are aware of that and you are continuously uh, leveraging your knowledge it's not a big deal it's very very easy likewise your innovation ability and teamwork collaboration project time management i mean there are so many traits but at least some of the traits must be mentioned in your cv or resume uh, when you are presenting to the employer because they they will definitely look for that and you get uh, de- you will get some sets out of that positively so some more pictures oh, so later visits because whatever i mentioned just now i'm quite attached to queens university and every every uh, few years i visit you can see uh, I, i'm i'm always meeting the uh, queen's university alumni jerry Ian has been always very kind to uh, invite me and have a cup of coffee uh here jim Sundal uh, was one of the uh, professor jim central was in the department at that time he has helped me a lot in in my research time so i just took a picture in front of my old lab which looks new now as a matter of fact and there's Uh, There is a picture with my wife because she also accompanies me uh, every time I go to the Queen's University. So this is what I wanted to convey and if there's any question I would be delighted to answer that. Thank you very much. Thank you
0: indeed. Uh thank you very much. Um, I realise we we're sort of slightly over time, but just quickly, there were quite a few more questions came in from the audience who saw Diane um, during that one. I, I'll just pick up quickly. There was one um, individual asking about a CV and how to put together. Those are things um, I will provide you with a file with the downloads um, afterwards. There are things you can pick up there on the careers website to help you with that. Diane, were there any other questions? Could you pick?
3: Yeah, we have a question specifically for Binad around, uh, specifically for international students, so it's a current uh, Queen's student who is an international student, and obviously I've applied to Jordan as well, obviously because you were an international student when you were at Queen's also, what advice would you give to graduates, Um, sorry, what advice would you have for international students trying to get into the job market here? And i suppose it's around we've had a number of questions around you know uk sponsorship and finding visa qualifying employment so you know what what was your experience of that maybe jordan and then what tips would you have been for international students um, trying to find employment uh,
5: what you would suggest uh, that if you are uh, if you are coming to join the university then uh, you have to choose a subject which you like, that's most important. And it is not the subject you are offered to study. The subject you like is most important. And once you finish the degree, then it is always important to mention that in CV and try to attach with that extra knowledge that what you have, how you can leverage what you have learned that's most important and more and more you can describe more you can articulate i think you will be definitely successful that's what i have done most of the time and expanding your learning even when you are at at the university is always necessary uh, that you try to uh, expand your domain knowledge domain all the time so that you are able to articulate, you can uh, able you you can leverage your knowledge far superior than if you don't do that. Is that uh, uh, answer the question?
3: Yes, that's really helpful, Bennett. Um Jordan, I don't know if you have anything to add.
4: Yeah, um, I think kind of having recently gone through a similar um, situation, it can be very difficult. And uh, I think the biggest thing is don't get disheartened. Um, there are a lot of companies specifically in Northern Ireland that aren't able to sponsor visas. So I think you need to be uh, really open minded and potentially be open to, to looking elsewhere across the UK as well. If you're hoping to stay um, within the UK and looking within um, companies that are based in, in London even or um, Manchester kind of uh, across other areas of the country. Um I think just having that flexibility and open mindedness will, will really help. Um, and networking, I think, is just the most important thing and, and kind of adding your, your, to your skill set there
3: great thank you another question for you um, Jordan um, as a recruitment consultant um, what one thing makes a CV stand out oh that's a tough one (laughs) Um, do you know what honestly a lot of the times we
4: pick up on things and like within your hobby section like there are plenty of times where you may have a a hobby that's that's different to other people and um, it just makes me remember remember your CV a bit more I've seen Quidditch on CVs and then dig a little bit deeper into a CV I think the average time a recruiter spends on looking at a CV is like seven seconds so if you have something that obviously doesn't overplay your actual skills and all the other things that we are looking for but something just a little bit different and unique to you it catches your attention a bit longer to uh, look even further.
3: Thank you. So a question for Bennett and and Jordan also but um, I think maybe Bennett because it's from a similar sector to the one that you have worked in and certainly the subject that you started studying at Queen. so this is from a recent graduate who was due to start a job in the pharmaceutical industry, Um, but due to COVID um, this offer has been rescinded Um, and they're finding that there are very limited jobs for new graduates going into process engineering sectors. So what advice would you or the other panel members have in the current job market? And I guess you touched on it to some extent, Bennett, in your presentation, when you talked about the importance of transferable skills and how transferable skills, how your skills are very transferable across different um, industries. Uh,
5: Yes, uh, it's very important to understand the problem because problem solving is very, very important in the industry. So uh, if you are working in a team Uh, then it becomes very easy because you can always bring a strong with the problem and try to share the knowledge and knowledge sharing and then leverage leveraging the big knowledge domain. It's 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 very easy actually. So if suppose I have some strength, we, we have to jot down all our strength. Then we have to also see that how how many. Of those are most important. We have to prioritize and trying to match with the requirement of the industry. And then, because if we if we try to write that everything I know, and try to blind the uh, you know uh, employer, then they will not be able to understand that. So it's it's a good idea to understand the employer's need first. If once you need the, know the need then one can always uh, say that, okay, you, you need this and I have this skill, I can solve it, I can do that. So that if, if that is the way, so every CV has to be a different CV, every application has to be, I am sure about that Jordan, is, you will be able to justify that what I am talking, that every CV has to be individualized. It cannot be a common kind of thing, because now we have an email facility, you make one CV and just copy that to everybody. I I would never recommend, I have never done also in even the earlier times. Every CV has to be well studied uh, in, in terms of the employer's requirement. I think if you try four or five of them, you will be successful.
3: Jordan, do you
4: have anything else to add to that? No, I, I 100% uh, agree with that. And I think that that's um, tailoring your CV to the role, especially um, in a sector with, with limited jobs is really important. Um, and even if it's a job that you don't necessarily meet every qualification for, if you can address in your CV in some way how you're able to meet that qualification or you have a transferable skill where you did something somewhere, but you're able to transfer that to this role. Um, I think being able to do that and really critically thinking about your skills and how they apply to that role is, is the best way to get there.
3: Great. Thank you. So uh, one final question for Jordan and then we can maybe bring in the other panelists cause there are some more sort of general questions that it would be good to have everybody's input into. Jordan, you'd mentioned LinkedIn in your presentation. So we have a question here. Do you have any specific tips on how LinkedIn can help with your career? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to um,
4: job searching, I think, adding all of your skills um, on your LinkedIn is really, really important. Um, Not only for recruiters to be able to find you, a lot of times recruiters will go into their platform and look for a specific skill. So anything that you're able to do, even project management, time management, all of those little things, add those to your your LinkedIn. Um, And then once you go from that point and you start looking at the jobs function of LinkedIn, um, you can look at, when you look at a job profile, um, it'll come up with the skill set next to it um, that you need to or what the recruiter is looking for in that position. So um, it really helps you find jobs that are tailored to to your skill set.
3: And um, I think
4: beyond that, networking, um, joining different groups um, and, and kind of just constantly expanding and reaching out to new people um, across various different areas is, is really helpful to make those connections.
3: OK, thank you. Emer, do we want to can we bring in the other panellists just for some more general questions if you want yes, to uh, say thanks again Tessa and Fergus yeah, and and for joining us yep thank you i guess following on from the question on linkedin we have a question um, um on tips for looking for a coach um you know would you recommend a coach or a mentor and um, sh- if you're looking for a coach and a mentor should you look within the specific field that you're um, job searching in? Maybe Tessa, you could answer that to start off.
2: Yeah. It's so- I hold coaching coach and a mentor are two different things so I think it would be very clear what you're looking for because a mentor tends to be somebody who has experience in your field or industry and is mentor providing wisdom from within so I'd be clear as to what your the ask is or the problem you're trying to solve a coach can come from any domain because the, the general premise of coaching is that the potential lies within the coachee and the coach's job is to draw that out so I think I'd be clear first of all what you're trying to achieve and then secondly that would dictate whether you need a coach or a mentor. Um, and I probably started from there. There can be advantages to have coaches who are familiar with your industry, because you don't have to explain the context. Um, but most good coaches are, you know, um, dexterous enough to be able to apply themselves across industry and sector.
1: Can I just add something to that as well? Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I agree with all of that. I'd say at the moment there are a lot of furloughed people, you know, people kind of between roles waiting for their companies to wake up and open doors again, especially in hospitality. So um, should, hopefully there should be plenty of people, good skills, good experience who've got time on their hands to help out. So um, if you're polite in your approach, you know, those, those people might be more than willing to have a, it wouldn't be a coffee meeting, it'll be a virtual coffee and just give you some tips and tricks. But um, yeah, I think now is a good time to approach people. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example. I know some people at the moment who are between roles in hospitality and they're taking time off to to write a book, which is kind of, they have enough experience to make that worthwhile. But I wouldn't recommend that. But, um, you know, there are people out there with with a lot of good experience who'd love to, to share.
5: Hi. I also have uh, something to suggest here, uh, which I have learned at this point, the difficult time that yes, if we have a group of people, a group of, uh, students, if they want to have some learning, they can approach and, uh, they can form a group, uh, of the common topic, and then they can po- possibly, uh, approach, the person who can give a master talk or something like that and it's possible, but it's only question that first one has to form the group that yes, we have common interest and then approach the uh, the coach or mentor or coach. I think would be the right word as uh, you know, explained uh, and then I, I think it's, it's a best utilization of the time at this time. That's what I think.
3: Thank you. Jordan, do you have anything to
4: add? Yeah, no, I think I agree with all the the other panelists as well. And I know, I guess from my experience, I've currently kind of been working with a a coach of sorts that's in a completely different industry to me. Um, But previously I've worked with kind of coaches and mentors in my own industry. So I I completely agree with Tesla's point as well. I think it it really depends on what you're looking for and what you're hoping to gain out of it. Um, But I think anybody with more experience than you is able to pass on knowledge in in some form, um, depending on what you're after. That can be really useful.
3: Thank you. Thank you all. It was really helpful. There are quite a few um, more questions, but we don't have time just to get into them now. Um, So we will, you know, follow up with that just to any of the students that have um, submitted questions and haven't um, got answers just this evening. just if you just want to wrap up. Uh Yes.
0: um, Yeah, uh, just a few final comments. Um, I did say that um, I would share there are some LinkedIn, Facebook uh, connections there for Daryl and careers um, following up if you're interested in keeping going forward and developing your networks, um, Queens, following on from this. Um, also, just to say, of course, a very big thank you to all the members of our panel. Um, really, we very much appreciate the genuine sharing of advice and tips in your story. Um, and I think one of the things coming out of this key messages I'm hearing to our, our students and our recent graduates who are joining um, is that you know resilience, optimism um, uh, is important at this time. Um, and also, um, we had Gradfest last week and if you look at one of the uh, webinars there by my colleague Emma Lennox, you'll see it's talking about a virtual environment and also she has figures there in terms of actually overall, in terms of the larger employers and the picture that we're seeing in Queens, most of the recruiters in terms of offers and so on they've made this year, they've held true on those. So um, it's, it's not a case of um, a, a total picture of a, a, a very high, very large and significant um, but there are still opportunities there and um, hopefully um, things take a positive turn and so on. And as employers themselves adapt, um, hopefully the picture becomes um, uh, positive there as well. So that's really it. I want to thank very much. want to thank Diane um, for joining us. But Tesla, Binod, Jordan, and Fergus, thank you so much for your time this evening. Goodbye. Thank you and very much, care. sir. Enjoy
5: Good talking night. to you, all of you. Okay. you. Bye. Bye. bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Take care. You. Take, care. Bye. take care. Bye. You've been listening to a podcast from the Careers, Employability, and Skills team at Queen's. Music by Ben Sound. To access career support at Queen's, please visit our website go.qub.ac.uk. Forward slash careers, or follow at QUB careers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.